Oprah, I need to let you know that our guest on the podcast this week is basically living your life. We are recording this on a weekday afternoon in, let's call this mid-August, early to mid. But he said to me when I scheduled the time with him, I don't know, Farwell, that's cutting into prime day drinking time. You and Kenny Walls, Popper, are clearly spirit animals. I was going to say that. It does sound like my life. <laughs> But after the weekend I had, I think I'm just going to stop drinking until the season starts. I've heard this promise before. I've heard we have played guilty together a couple of times, particularly in Kingston. And the next time a trip comes around, we're playing guilty again. So nice try. You're probably right. I can't wait for that trip. Ottawa is always a good one, too, though. It is. And we're going to miss it this year as we welcome Kenny Longballs Walls to the podcast voice of the Ottawa 67s, of course. And as we can see, it's really a shame that this is only going out as audio, Kenny, because you have brought the full Kenny Walls experience to this episode. Well, I figured that I really got to go all out for you guys because, uh, Mike, you detest the suits and I know Popper loves them. So it's true. I do love them. Yeah, I, I really had to, to make an emphasis to, to go all out. And I feel like I've done that today with my Aloha short suit. And it's, out, and it's outside. Where are you right now? I'm in my backyard. Nice. Nice yeah, little setup here. you got going. It's, uh, it's not bad. I'll, I'll, I know it's uh, only audio, but if I shift things over that way, Popper, you can see oh. that. Backyard pool. pool. So, yeah, backyard pool. So that's, uh, that's the reason why I've been the day drinker. I've turned morphed into a day drinker as I have uh, progressed in life. It, uh, it allows you to wake up earlier as well. It's not, it's not a bad thing. So down in these here parts, Kenny, we call that morphing into a Chris Pope, just so you know. <laughs> and I thought that we... Popper, we're working in like the cream of the OHL crop when it comes to markets, but I ain't got no backyard pool nor an Aloha suit. So I don't know. I was going to no, say, you, just... you can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. That's a good point. Good <laughs> yeah, point. Well, got to listen to Drake all the time. Uh, yeah, it's not a, it's not a bad thing moving uh, outside the city. It's uh, I'm about uh, 25, 30 minutes east of Ottawa and uh, it's lovely here. It's awesome, as you can see. Well, you can see the listeners can listen to. I think maybe hear a cricket or two in the background. Trust them. I'm, it's awesome. I'm, sh- <laughs> I'm sure that uh, that your suits change almost as often as the coaching staff right now in Ottawa. Ayo, uh, I'm just I'm just kidding because it's you know, a major change. It's, uh, switching around quite often. Yeah, Dave Cameron now coming in after well three years of coaching for Andre Tourney and then uh, a year off, but. It's uh, it's been switching around quite a bit since I've been around and it's hard to imagine that they've had so few coaches over the course of their history, but in the last 10 years, 20, 15 years, there's been uh, quite a few going through Brian Kilray, Chris Byrne, Jeff Brown, Andre Tourney, and now Dave Cameron coming in as the new guy. It'll, it'll be, it's, I'm looking forward to it though. I've heard nothing but great things about Dave. What was the overall feeling when uh, the coaching announcement happened? Going back to the Ottawa 67's first playoff run against uh, under Andre Tourney against Hamilton, I didn't think he was going to be in the OHL long. The way that he coaches his team, the way that he prepares, that was a 1-8 matchup with Hamilton being the number one seed. And I heard from, through the grapevine, numerous players said that Ottawa was their toughest matchup throughout the playoffs until the final. And I don't doubt that because Andre Tourney prepares his team so well, they are... 
ready to go each and every game. And there's not too many stinkers under Andre Tourney. So it wasn't long in the making. I'm surprised when it did happen after his talks and then the job that he has with hockey or had with hockey Canada, I thought that it would be uh, a little bit down the road, maybe after this year, make that jump to the NHL. Cause I don't think he wanted to go into being an assistant again or starting in the AHL. I think it was NHL head coach or nothing. I think the way that he's developed his character and, and risen through the hockey ranks, I think that was the, the natural course of action for him. Chris and I have been having this ongoing debate over which team is most frustrated or which team do we feel sorriest for after the canceled season, Oshawa or Ottawa? And maybe it's a coin toss. Maybe it just depends on which team you cheer for. But I, I seem to think that second straight year of a fully loaded Ottawa squad after falling short the year prior looked to be like the team in the OHL. They were really starting to get going. I think it was the last the last weekend or the last two weekends, they outscored their opponents 17 to three. And it wasn't close. I think that was the the total. It's been a long time since since we had <laughs> hockey. Uh, but they were just starting to get rolling. They were nine and one or something like that in their previous 10 games. And again, Andre Tourney had that team rolling. And the returning guys, they were hungry. They were ready to get after it. And throughout, when Jeff Brown drafted, it was for that year. He drafted, and two of these guys weren't there, aren't there anymore, or weren't there, but Peter Stratus, Carter Robertson, and Kevin Ball in the first two rounds of that draft, going defense heavy, and they were built around the defense. Now, eventually, they were moved out, but a guy like Nikita Hachuk was moved in, Merrick Rippon, uh, would have been a 19-year-old on that team. They were they were gearing up, and they were ready to go. Jack Quinn, 52 goals uh, already in the season. Graham Clark just coming back off of shoulder surgery. They were they were loaded for bear. Uh, it it's tough for Oshawa as well because they made some moves to make themselves better at the deadline and moving into what would have been the second canceled season. It, it would have been a tough goal for Ottawa, but I. I and maybe overall in the OHL as well. 50 wins to that point in the season, tying a franchise record for a second straight year is no small feat. They were they were loaded for bear and they were ready to go and backed by arguably the best goaltender in the OHL for the previous two seasons in Cedric Andre, who was playing lights out uh, throughout his, his time there. So uh, it was tough to see that season come to an end and uh, really feel sorry for, for all the kids because... It was unfortunate for everybody, but the graduating players, it was really tough for. You mentioned some of those names, but like, I just took a look at the roster. Ball, Keating, Gareffa, Hoffenmeyer, Rippen, Ohachuk, uh, Andre. And then you have O1s that probably won't be back, but could in Quinn, Clark, and Rossi. That's quite the lineup. Who's left in Ottawa? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a wonderful question. Um, there's not much from guys who played significant minutes. In the OHL already, a guy like Jack Beck played on the same as Mitch Holscher and Jack Quinn. So he's got some experience, was just drafted by Calgary. So there's there's possibilities there for him to, to have a breakout. 
Jack Matier was just drafted by the Nashville Predators. He's another guy who has some experience. Cam Tolney uh, will be entering his 19-year-old season. He's going to have to step up, but in reality, it's an unknown, as is most of the OHL this year, but particularly for the Ottawa 67s, given how veteran-laden they were for the previous couple runs, they don't have a lot of guys with a ton of OHL experience, so it should be interesting to see how they're able to make that adjustment, especially under a new head coach, where they had the players who were drafted in 2000 still had that mentorship from Andre Tourney via Zoom and uh, just some of the guys who did come up to Ottawa before the season to start training, if there was a season to get going, I think they all got that mentorship a little bit. And under Dave Cameron, we're going to see a little bit different of of an approach, I'm sure, although I've heard that they're very similar in how they run things. But there's nobody, basically, who made a, a big impact in previous years coming back for the Ottawa 67s. So it's it's going to be uh, one of the bigger question marks, I think. Chris already mentioned the the market itself and how it's one of our favorite stops on the, the season tour for obvious reasons. Uh, but I, I wonder, Kenny, as we look back over the years, uh, how much of an impact the lost season the lost season plus has on the status of the team in the market, because of course you've got pro caliber teams. You've got the Ottawa senators for hockey. You've got the the football club that's playing right out of the same facility where the, the 67s play, you know, you've got the Canadian football league. You got so much else going on in the sports entertainment sector. How much does the impact, what, what's the impact of the lost season on junior hockey in Ottawa? If, Almost every other league didn't get canceled as well for the season, aside from the Ottawa Senators, but fans weren't allowed. Then there would have been a much bigger, sorry guys, uh, there would have been a much bigger play because uh, the Blackjacks only played in a, at a little mini tournament. Then I don't think it's as bad as it could have been But when you take junior hockey out of a market of this size for that long, it's going to have a big impact. We saw it when the Ottawa 67s moved to Canadian Tire Centre for two years. The lost fans that we saw there was massive. It would be lucky on a Tuesday night out out in Canada to get 2,000 fans. And 2,000 fans inside an 18,000-seat stadium or arena doesn't go very well it was incredibly tough for them to recover. And it took until they got back to TD place and got winning and made a run to the OHL final that really, it got the excitement back within Ottawa for junior hockey. And it was, you could see it building again during the canceled season into maybe not quite where it was yet, but that excitement was growing once again. And it, I, I want to say it won't have a big impact, but it will because, again, you don't know any of the players returning. It's tough to get the casual fan back out there. The hardcore fans, they're going to be there. The 15 to 2,500 that are there every game, they'll still be there. It's the rest that may not come back, and that's going to be where they have to – then depending on how many fans are allowed in in the stands, that's another issue. but. They're going to have to 
really ramp up the marketing, really ramp up the advertising and see if they can't get those fans back. And hopefully a, a good hockey team will help that out as well. When I look at the roster and we talked about, you know, what's left in Ottawa, I think to get those fans back, a lot of it might fall on the shoulders of Will Cranley. I know the, the organization was really high on him when they drafted him and when he was playing, I think it was tier two. Uh, and then obviously Cedric Andrew comes out of nowhere um, to a lot of people and really stood on his head and took that number one spot. Even when Mike DiPrazio came, Cedric Andrew was fantastic. How much of the season is going to fall on a guy like Will Cranley? It's going to be huge when you don't know what you have in front of you. Your 19-year-old goaltender needs to be the backbone of that team. And it's going to be difficult because he hasn't played a lot of games. I didn't mention him as one of the guys who played a lot because he just hasn't. He started his 16-year-old season with the Ottawa 67s, was okay. You could see the potential there. He's a big goaltender, athletic. Uh, there's a few aspects to his game that, need to, that needed to improve at 16. So he went down to play in the CCHL, played very well there in a limited role again, didn't play a lot of hockey, but saw a lot of shots between playing in the CCHL and playing in their practicing in the OHL. Saw a lot of high quality shots. Again, Cedric Andre was outstanding. So when Cranley played, typically it was against the lesser opponents. And it can be tough to judge sometimes because maybe the team isn't at their best against the North Bays, uh, against the Kingstons at the time. Uh, so it, it can be tough to judge there as well. And then the lost season, going to play one game in the AHL would have been big for him. His confidence would have been uh, sky high. Getting drafted into the NHL is also a big thing. But I don't know where his game's at. I don't know if he can be that number one guy yet. And I, I really like all the potential that's there, but we haven't seen enough. And generally you get that for goaltenders, that 17 to 18-year-old season is massive. As you guys know, that's where they take their biggest step because typically they don't play in the first two years. And so that 18, 19-year-old season is where they have to make that progression. And you hope that Will Cranley is able to do that uh, with not facing a ton of shots over the last 18, 20 months. It's going to be difficult for him, but the potential's there. Uh, he compares his game to Carey Price. He was very highly thought of by Hockey Canada, going to the U-17s, performing well there. And he's getting the proper coaching. Charlie McTavish is a wonderful goalie coach here in Ottawa, helped Andre Vasilevsky. Uh, way back when to uh, get to where he's at now. So he's a very good coach. Uh, Will Cranley has the good coaching. He's got the, the pedigree to get there. It's just whether he can take that next step. I, I think we all ag agree that the Ontario Hockey League is, you know, whether too cautious or not, probably doing the right thing by keeping the schedule balanced and just focusing on one conference, you know, East will play East, West will play West. Cause we don't really know. You already mentioned how many fans are going to be in stands. It's still a little bit of uncertainty around the season, but there's going to be a season. How do you feel though about only facing those nine other Eastern conference teams this year? Going to get real tired of <laughs> Kingston, Oshawa, Peterborough. Uh, for, for us here in Ottawa, it really doesn't, make a difference because the shortest travel is two hours. We don't have an opponent 15 minutes down the road, like the Kitchener Rangers. So it, it makes it, you're jumping on the bus and you're traveling no matter what. And whether you're going to Oshawa, Hamilton or Kitchener, it doesn't Oshawa is a little bit closer. It's three and a half, four hours, but it's still, 
that's the the day trip. If you're going to Hamilton, you're staying in a hotel. There's a, a there's still a number of nights in in a hotel for the Ottawa 67s. So from that point of view, the unbalanced, the balanced schedule, whatever you want to call it, against Eastern Conference teams doesn't make a difference because it's just more of the same opponent, but the same amount of travel. And I get it for teams, especially in Western Ontario, Central Ontario, where everything's so clumped together, where you can go 15 minutes down the road, an hour down the road, play an opponent and jump back, where it's not that big of an issue. For the 67s, there's one trip where they play at home on a Friday night, travel to Hamilton for a 4 o'clock game on Saturday, and then to Oshawa for a 6 o'clock game on Sunday. So it's not an ideal schedule, but it's a normal schedule for the 67s. From that point of view, you're just not playing Western Conference opponents. You you look at Ottawa, and obviously it's one of the uh, top franchises in this league and most respected franchises, Um, championships throughout Killer's time there. Um, But it's been about 20 years almost since the title. Is the fan base starting to get a little restless like it is here in Kitchener? (laughs) Yeah, dad, that didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Or, do, or do the finals appear, or do the finals appearances kind of make it a little easier? I think that placated it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a little bit restless. And I think the tough times moving out to the CTC really, I think it separated everything, to be honest with you, where it, it allowed, it was a break because nobody was going. It was a forgotten franchise for the most part. You had your diehard still going out, but the rest of the city forgot about it and yes there's there's some restlessness but the last time we had a full season they went to the final they went 14 straight games in the playoffs they did some incredible things and they were building towards that the next year so I think from my point of view the fan base can feel things ramping back up and I I believe the franchise and the the organization itself just they want to be competitive every year. They don't want to bottom out. They don't want to have to sell off assets to get the first overall pick again, like when they drafted Travis Konechny. They always want to be in the top half of the conference, competing for a playoff spot. And once you get in, you never know what can happen. And especially when you had a coach like Andre Tourney, who could coach his team to above maybe their playing level, that was always a possibility. And I think the same thing with Dave Cameron coming in, it always gives you an opportunity to uh, to do something special. And I, I think the fan base could feel that building, and now it's a reset. And now you have to start building that again if you're the Ottawa 67s and make sure the fan base stays interested, stay, believes the message coming out that the team will always be competitive. And maybe it's not killers competitive where there was never a go-for-it year. There was always the competitive team. They're finishing in that three to six range and then they'll win a round or two in the playoffs. I think this is a team or a franchise that will, when they bottom out, maybe like the London Knights finish sixth and then continue to uh, build from within. And, and when you do have the year where you can go for it, they pick up overagers like Kyle Maximovich and, and Lucas Chiodo, uh, Mikey DiPietro as well. Those are the type of years where you have to take advantage of it because they don't always come along. And I think this franchise realizes that and they will uh, take the opportunity when it gets there. You know, when you talk about building this franchise and keeping it competitive, obviously a lot of talk about coaching with Tourigny 
departing and, and Dave Cameron and his pedigree, 2011 Memorial Cup with Mississauga coming in. But I don't think we can talk about the building of this Ottawa 67s franchise, certainly in its current state, without mentioning James Boyd, who a feature interview with him is is coming up a little bit later in this episode of OHL Stories. But what does he mean? Because he's he's no slouch for, at, at all. He gets as much uh, ink, if you will, as, as Andre Tournier in terms of what's been accomplished in Ottawa. Absolutely. And the way that they've gone about things and, and it's been hand in hand. When I mentioned Andre Tourney and building this franchise, it is hand in hand with James Boyd because they worked so closely together. And I would expect the same thing going forward with the relationship that James has with Dave Cameron, that it's such a tight knit unit and there, I can't imagine there being a harder working front office than James Boyd and, and Jan Ager. Uh, Jan once told me that he sees 400 plus games a year and it's not all tournaments. He's driving around and being based out of Toronto is clearly easier than being based out of Ottawa to, to see everything that you need to see. Same thing with James, uh, extremely busy. You talk to him and you mention a name in the hockey world. He will know that person and five of his best friends as well. It is incredible how well connected he is and, the way that they've built it so that everybody is responsible for some aspect within the franchise is incredible. And yes, you can't mention the, where this organization is at now without James Boyd. And you take it back even further without uh, Jeff Brown and the trades that got them set up for these runs. The trading of Travis Konechny allowed them uh, to do what they have with Sasha Shemalevsky coming in, the boatload of draft picks, Sam Studnika going the other way as well. It, it That allowed for the Ty Felliber trade, which was so big in that playoff run. It allowed for so many other acquisitions, including Mikey DiPietro. He, he set the franchise up incredibly well for a coach that, that was on his way out. And James Boyd has acknowledged that in the past where typically when you come in to an OHL franchise, they're at their lowest point. And that wasn't it with the Ottawa 67s. There was a lot of talent and there was a lot in the draft cupboard as well. It wasn't completely empty. And I think uh, James really took advantage of that and he built on it and he built it well. And just like Andre, I don't, if he wants to, I think there's a job somewhere in the NHL for him. If he, if he wants to move on up, it's just a matter of the right opportunity. And if he wants to take it, because it's, this isn't a, a bad job. He gets to be at home in Toronto while working for the 67s. He's out of town a lot, but I think he enjoys it. He enjoys the travel. He enjoys going to the rinks. But uh, I think there is an opportunity for him to move up if, if he so desires. Ballsy, we uh, call this podcast OHL Stories uh, just because we get stories about the league. Do you have any good stories from your time covering this league? Which can include where you get your suits made, by the way. No, I can't divulge that. Uh, they're not paying me yet. So uh, once they do ads. or once they provide the free suits, then yeah, absolutely, I will, I will put that out to you. Fair. Early on in my time, and I, I am awful with years. I am awful with dates. It's it's. A tragedy, but the Ottawa 67s were going to be short on goalies a day after a game for practice. And Killer had heard that I was a goalie and said, Okay, well, you're coming out, you're strapping on the pads. Okay, I haven't played on ice in, in God knows how long. I have been strictly a ball hockey goalie 
forever. Okay, uh, Killer asked you to go in net, you go in net. Luckily, they did have two goalies out there. I was the third guy, but he still said, okay, you're rotating through. All right, well, that's extra skating. I don't really need that either. Uh, and I was doing not great, but I was, I was holding my own until Tyler Kuma, uh, former first-round pick of the 67s and then the Minnesota Wild, never, never made it to the NHL Inc. one game. But he decided to come down, take a slap shot from the top of the circle. And me being the dummy that I am, didn't have on knee protectors. And I went down and it caught me just above the uh, kneecap and left an imprint of not only the puck and the crisscrosses in the puck, but also my, my sock that I had on. So it was quite the bruise that was an inch and a half long where the puck hit of both the crisscross of the puck and then the sock imprint as well. So that was there for a while, but that was a nice memory besides the pain. I can feel that from here, Kenny. Oh my gosh. It, uh, it wasn't the best, but again, when you're out there, you can't stop. So you just keep on going, you limp around and you do whatever you can because killers watching from center ice, you're not going to stop. That one was, that one was a fun one. And then, Another one, just the, the entire run uh, up into the, uh, the OHL final. 14 straight playoff wins. Ty Felliber with his clutch goals, not only in Sudbury to win on a, a power play goal in triple overtime against Uka Pekka Lukanen. Uh, unreal shot that, that sent, sent them home. He was, I don't think he was in there, but uh, Sean Young, the strength and conditioning coach, gotten everybody chicken. For in between the second and third overtime, made sure he brought in all the fried chicken for the guys to to mow down on, didn't get too hungry. Uh, that one was incredible. Driving back from there, uh, getting back at 6 o'clock in the morning, that was uh, a memory. And then in Oshawa, another overtime game winner by Ty Felliber to clinch the series. And remember just after he, he got the, the trophy, he looked up and, and pointed up to, to us in the broadcast booth, AJ Jackiebeck and myself, and uh, the biggest smile on his face. Uh, those are, those are unreal memories that, that will stick with me. But, uh, like I said, I have a, an awful, awful time remembering dates and specific moments until they are brought up. And then I can, I can move on with those, but, uh, those are a couple that stand out. For sure. I'm waiting for the day that uh, Popper gets called in for practice with the Rangers. Like I, in fact, I'll start the petition right now get them out there you've still got the equipment pulpy i know you do i do i was actually going to sell it when i bought this new house but i've been holding on to it i got a hockey camp coming up that i helped coach in um with former ranger nick spalling actually in a couple weeks but after that i might get rid of it we'll see we'll see you can't get rid of it what's the point of getting rid of it you never know when you're gonna use it (laughs) okay but maybe there's always a chance i'm overweight i'm slow my body's falling apart everything's great that's the perfect time to get back into it though you never know what you can accomplish unless you try that's fair. <laughs> Oprah, you'll remember this interview with James Boyd. We had uh, been setting it up and expected to get him over the phone for, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. And next thing you know, he was sitting with us in the studios in Kitchener. I think we sat down for 40, 45 minutes with the guy to pick his brain as this 67s team with Andre Turney was beginning to be assembled. So it was pretty, pretty good and candid chat with Boydie. It was. And uh, I can't remember. When James Boyd was an assistant with Mississauga, do you remember who their head coach was, Mike? Somebody by the name of Dave Cameron, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, James Boyd coming up. Kenny, 
Thanks a million for doing this. Great to see you. Well, sort of in that suit, but thanks for making time for us, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Appreciate it, fellas. Always a blast. What I like is that uh, we've got a guest in studio. We don't often have this, and this completely dispels the illusion that we do the entire podcast from Pope's parents' basement in St. Jacob's. <laughs> so this is this is all right too. Eh? Yeah. Not, not bad digs here. My, it's almost pro. My parents wouldn't let us in our, in my basement. <laughs> they they would tell me no. Once you got kicked out, you're out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> James, thanks for uh, making the trip in here to join us on on this one today. Appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. We were hoping to uh, catch up with you in Ottawa, but since this is the way it's happening, now we can we can do the deep dive. We can take you back because I I need to know, and everybody needs to know. It was that formative 1993-94 season in Kitchener that made you the man and the executive <laughs> you are today, right? Well, it probably set me on the path, you know, is a <laughs> focus on your studies, son. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I think uh, when, you, when I look back, that was a, it was a great year. You know, first year of major junior hockey, I split the season. I played half the year in, in Milton uh, with the junior A team there. Shane Lehman and I were the two Rangers who traveled back and forth, but got our, uh, our feet wet with the big club and uh, had phenomenal bill at home. Less than Helen McCausland here in Kitchener. Oh my gosh, they're still directors, yeah. Oh yeah, great people. And uh, I lived there with Wes Swinson and then Todd Warner after the Olympics came back and, uh, and joined us. And yeah, you know, went to school at Eastwood. It was great. Every, everything about it was great. It was a, it was a great first season to, uh, you know, kind of find out how major junior works. And then, of course, uh, uh, the following season, they Rangers some solid drafting, but it Luch Nisato came in, and all of a sudden, they, you know, we had a little bit more sandpaper, and I guess you could say I became expendable, but went on to Ottawa. And so, yeah, you could say that Kitchener, that first year in Kitchener, uh, created the, a connection with Ottawa. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's how I ended up back there. So it was, uh, I have nothing but fond memories. And, of course, coming back to the odd, great building, uh, I get to see a bunch of familiar faces, and just phenomenal. The renovations and things they've done, it really has changed over the years. So it's a pleasure. James, your whole OHL career... How do you describe it? What do you, what do you tell your, your kids and then eventually grandkids about your OHL career? Oh, uh, you know what? It's, it's, uh, I think the game has changed a lot, mm-hmm. you know, over the years. It's changed, not, it's changed, you know, exponentially. I think where, uh, you know, some of the resources available are players, the emphasis on education, um, like even the coaching staffs. You know, when I think back when I was – the first year that I coached in the league with Lou Crawford in Belleville, we had a staff of total four, you know. <laughs> and now when I think about our team, we've got, a, uh, of course, a head coach, two capable assistant coaches. We've got a, a goalie coach, a video coach. We've got a skills coach. Uh, you know, uh, we've got, you know, 12 staff that are working closely with the team every day. So when I think back to uh, Kitchener here, you know, he had Joe McDonnell and an assistant coach and, Rick Chambers, the the trainer, and that was kind of, you know, the the bulk of the support staff. So, uh, it's it's a lot different. I think that the, you know, the players are a lot more focused. They have a lot more information. I think they they know an awful lot about the rest of the league. You know, I remember the first first year major junior was kind of you know going for the first time to, you know, the London Ice House. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, the old, and yeah. <laughs> and you really didn't have you know much of an idea of who was on the other teams. You know, Dave Gilmore was a pretty good player. I knew that after one period. <laughs> uh, but it, it took a year to really, you know, acclimatize yourself and, and get mm-hmm. figured out how that works. So managing your time, and that remains you know, the same for players today. But uh, I find now the players know who everybody is. Mm-hmm. They've played summer hockey and internationally, and they're best of friends with, you know, there's no surprises for them, uh, which is good and, and bad. 
uh, you know, sometimes, uh, uh, you know, naivety is a good thing. But, the, but the, you know, now the players are, you know, I think further advanced, they're further advanced skill-wise, they're further advanced uh, with the knowledge of the league and that sort of thing. So I think when I look back at my major junior career, you'd say, yeah. I, I think it was, uh, um, you know, it was the best time of my life. I think that uh, I learned an awful lot about myself, uh, you know, time management and how to, inter- you know, I, I changed teams a couple times. Mm-hmm. So, you know, finding your niche on a team and be- becoming part of the team and trusting your teammates and learning from some different coaches. You know, I played for Joe McDonnell and uh, Peter Lee uh, in Ottawa, who's a phenomenal coach. And, you know, if you know anything about Peter Lee's career, he went back to Germany and his jersey's retired in two different countries. I think he scored 83 goals with the 67s one mm-hmm. year. And then... Uh, uh, you know, Larry Mavity in Belleville. And I had a short stand at a training camp in Barrie when Burke Templeton was the head wow. guy there. Oh, my so. goodness. You got some names yeah, there. Yeah, they, names. yeah. Yeah, well, they wouldn't, I never, they don't think of it at the time. But then, you know, you're thinking back on it. You're going, we just really touched on a couple of, uh, you know, coaching legends there. So it was a, it was great. And then, of course, I went to the University of Guelph following my mm-hmm. my junior playing uh, days and had a played for some really good teams there, Marlon Mueller, and then uh, got into coaching right after. So I've been really, really fortunate. I wanted to ask about a couple of things on coaching before we get to Andre Tregny now in Ottawa, who is in his first year like you. But I found it really interesting that you went from school right into coaching. Oftentimes we see guys play somewhere. Maybe it's the East Coast. Maybe it's over in Europe. The Colonial Leagues, whatever they used to be. But you came out of what was then the OUAA right back into coaching as an assistant with the Belleville Bulls, where you graduated from the Ontario Hockey League from. How was that for you as a 23-year-old, barely older than the overagers on your on your team as an assistant coach? Well, it was good and bad. You know, some of the guys on the team I played with. <laughs> sure. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to show them what to do on the power play, and they know I never was on the power play. It's, it's, a, little, it's a little difficult. But, yeah. <laughs> do this. You didn't do that. Yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, it was, and, you know, again, it's a, a different era where, you know, it wasn't a full-time position. It was, uh, you know, at that time, assistant coaching was, uh, for some of the teams, it was a part-time gig or, you know, a three-quarter time gig. So, uh, you know, not everyone was leaving their day job to take a, a coaching position. I was fortunate that I had a good relationship with the team. And Lou Crawford, who was the head coach there, um, was the assistant coach when, you know, I played for Larry Mavity there. Also fortunate that they were coming off a season where they won the OHL championship and had a bunch of, uh, you know, really solid returning players. Uh, Branislav Mezzi with the 10th overall pick to the to the NHL. Branko Radovojevic. Randy Rowe went on to score, I think, 64 goals with us. Um, Kyle Wellwood was our first-round pick. There was a lot of good players there. John Chichu uh, was on the team. Kevin Baker, 40-goal guy. So it masked a lot of coaching deficiencies. <laughs> it was a good, uh, it was the perfect, uh, you know, first gig coming out of school. But I was fortunate that, you know, I had a good relationship with the organization. When the position came available... You know, they reached out to a couple of uh, alumni, and I just happened to be in a little bit of limbo. I hadn't signed a professional contract. was probably looking at the ECHL or the Colonial League or, you know, play some pro hockey. Um, but when the opportunity came up, I started, you know, asking around and quickly figured out this is something I should probably do. But when I, when I took the job, it was the intention of doing it for one year and then going back to school. One year led into two, and then, uh, you know, it's almost 20 years later. <laughs> I've been telling my mom I'm going to go back to school, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen now. What were, but, what were you going to take? <laughs> or oh, did you know? Well, some sort of graduate degree. I, I, I like, you know, I really enjoyed my time at the University of Guelph. And, uh, you know, not only for the hockey, but I, you know, really enjoyed uh, student life. So I was still fresh that, you know, maybe I'd do this for a year and, you know, my 
some students, some people travel around the world or they take a, you know, a gap year and do some stuff. I figured I'd coach a little bit of hockey and then go back. But it just, uh, I was really, again, really fortunate that, you know, Jim Halton took over in, uh, in Belleville. After that year, Lou Crawford went on to the American League in St. John's. Um, I, of course, wasn't ready to become the head coach and knew it. J- Jim Halton came in. Uh, he had some experience in the league. Um, became good friends with Jim. We were there for a couple of years. Had some success again. You know, with your Matt Stagens and the Robinson Renzi, uh, um, Jason Spezza. So we had some really exciting teams there as well. And then uh, Jim, of course, went on to Kingston. I became a head coach there, uh, fairly young age. And then, uh, you know, the team was sold at the end of that season and I moved on to St. Mike's um, and stayed there for, well, St. Mike's and the Steelheads for 12 mm-hmm. years. So I've been really lucky that I've been, you know, one five years in Belleville and 12 years in Mississauga. It's been... Uh, a little bit of stability to it too, which has made it really enjoyable. Judging by the first couple of years in Ottawa, I don't think you're going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, you met, we talked about your playing career, and Mike said like the early '90s. Nowadays, you mentioned that you know the the team back then they brought in some extra grit. The game has changed so much, and you've been around the game and in the game during that entire change. Do you like where it's at now? I think it's really exciting. I think that uh, it's you know the player safety is. Uh, as uh, first and foremost in the, in the league's mind, I think that's a good thing. I think that the you know the increase of speed and and skill in the game makes it exciting for fans. I think that there's uh, um, you know there there still needs to be some adjustment. You know, players uh, the game is so fast now, and you see some of the some of the injuries of the big collisions. Uh, it's almost uh, you know you should put the red line back in almost <laughs> to take some of the speed out. But uh, you know, back in back in the early '90s or the '80s when I used to watch. OHL hockey, it was a totally different game, you know. I think those the, the years that I played in Belleville in, uh, you know, the mid-'90s, you really didn't want to score the goal to go up four on Larry Matthews' junior team, you know. <laughs> like, just keep it at a nice three. <laughs> keep and, it and at get, a nice yeah, three. Yeah, get out of here. Like, conveniently missed the net a few times there in the third, so I'd avoid the fireworks. <laughs> but, it, uh, you know, knowing what we know now about head injuries and knowing what we know now about uh, – um, you know, players' uh, long-term effects. Uh, I think that you can't condone, uh, you know, the fighting and the nonsense that used to go on. It just uh, doesn't make sense. It's funny. I think uh, if if I remember correctly, one of the assistant coaches with the Ranger team you played for was Mikey Moore, and I remember him as a player in the '80s, jumping into the opposing team's bench like he full-on <laughs> Superman in there. Like I'm ready to take on anybody. That was the game I grew up watching too, and uh, it is much different now. Yeah, well, I think Mike. The funny thing too is Mike looked like an accountant. I you know. know? <laughs> <laughs> Kind of like the most professional-looking uh, <laughs> guy in the organization, and then it took us a little bit to figure out. You know, again, you're naive; you don't realize who the, uh, you know, who everybody is. But you realize, you know, this guy's got a reputation yeah. here, and it just didn't match his personality and in the, you know, his appearance. So <laughs> the guys were listening pretty pretty closely after, uh, you know, the the information came out. You know, they're snapping to attention, but. Uh, yeah, did totally different, uh, totally different era for sure. I wanted to talk a little more about Belleville because we just came through what we've always called the Eastern Swing from here in Kitchener, and Belleville used to be a stop on it. In fact, we made a quick stop outside what used to be the Yardman Arena. We still call it that, but mm-hmm. you know the CAA Arena now. But I kind of miss it. You probably have even a closer feel to it because you played and coached there. How is the league for you without Belleville on the circuit? Oh, I wish Belleville was here. Yeah, you know it's a. Well, especially selfishly being in Ottawa, you know, sure, the into the trip, yeah. still in our division. But <laughs> makes you know, I mean, sense. There's a nostalgic connection to Belleville. It was, you know, it's where 
you know, I kind of solidified my position on a team and uh, became a member of the community there. Of course, you know, I played there and then, you know, I'd spend some of the some of the time in the summer there. I spent the summers there while I was at the University of Guelph and then, uh, you know, lived there coaching. So I was there for, you know, almost 10 years. But during the time that I was there as well, it was really a mom and pop team. You know, Dr. Vaughn owned the team and uh, some family members involved running the team. And, and uh, you know, we'd hang out at the owner's house. You know, <laughs> like, you know, like it really was a, a family affair. And it was close-knit and the, the community was great. It was, it was like you're playing on a big league team, you know, every you knew around town, you know, you, you, you understand from the reaction you're getting whether the team was playing well or not, you know. <laughs> they, have a, they have a pretty good pretty good fan base there. So when the team moved, you know, it really, it wasn't just the team moving, but you think about all the business owners in the community there and, you know, the, uh, how lively the community was, the, the nights that there was Bulls hockey, uh, the billets, the fans, you know, that really became a social event there. And so that's what I thought about is, that, you know, all those people of, you know, uh, they had a close attachment to the team. It's just a shame that the team moved. Now they got the American League team back. It's, I think they do an excellent job. But for me, it's just not the same. You know, it's not junior hockey. It's pro hockey. I've been to a couple games. The rink's been renovated. It looks fantastic. And, uh, you know, they'll carry on. But for me, the old Belleville Bulls and, and the Olympic ice there was, uh, uh, that's where the nostalgia is. I'm with you. you. You then went on to Mississauga, as you mentioned, or with Toronto St. Mike's at that point. Um what was the transition like for you? It's not Bell Vegas. No, no, it's downtown <laughs> Toronto. But I was, uh, you know, I was living in Toronto uh, uh, part time at the time. So, uh, you know, when we made the move, it was almost like a little bit like coming home. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even though I was living in Belleville, I had family in, in Toronto. So, uh, going from Olympic Ice to the St. Mike's Arena was a little bit different. Oh, was it ever? <laughs> and uh, yeah, don't say. And actually, did you know, kind of the. What uh, created the connection with Dave Cameron at St. Mike's was we played a, a seven-game series, uh, our Belleville team, Jimmy Holden and I, and uh, I'm trying to think of the year now, but Andy Kyoto and Peter Budai were the, goal, were the goalies at St. Mike's. But we had our team built for the Olympic ice. So we had you know Nate Robinson, Mike Renzi, uh, both small guys who were league, you know, fast and, and you really put the puck in the net. And St. Mike's had the big defensemen, Nathan McKeevers and the Ryan Wilsons and and uh, there couldn't be two more opposite teams. And, and in the seven-game series, neither team could beat the other team at home. Uh-huh. Or, you know, on the road, sorry. And it wasn't even close. And we ended up losing in game seven at St. Mike's in, in dramatic fashion where Matt Stajan got a high stick and there was a penalty. And he was, our, you know, he was kind of the, the straw that stirred the drink. And he was cut, but we couldn't get him back on the ice because he was bleeding. bleeding. And the refs wouldn't let him back out on the ice. And anyway, not to say that we would have won the game, but <laughs> it... it, it, it you know, that's a fitting end to that series because it, it just, uh, uh, you know, I guess it was, t- it was closely played and uh, there's a mutual respect there. And so when uh, Bob Jones went to Sudbury, you know, the following summer, uh, uh, and then I left Belleville, Dave, Dave Cameron contacted me and said, hey, we, we should talk here. And it's amazing how during a playoff series or throughout a season, like, you develop a, a, re- a mutual respect and, you know, there's friendships forged sometimes at the end of the series. But the, that's really what it comes back to is, you know, familiarity and, you know, uh, an opportunity coming up. So, uh, but then, you know, it's definitely a different style of play. And at that time too, that, that was kind of right around the lockout and the rule chain, you know, the different, uh, standard of, uh, enforcement being applied. So, uh, all of a sudden the tactics in that small arena, the hooking and holding, we were kind of caught where we had good players, but 
you know, we were uh, we were kind of caught in the in the past. So yeah. we took a lot of penalties there for <laughs> about a year. But um, you know, once we got it straightened out, and, and it, just, it was just around that time we were moving to Mississauga. So that was that was another interesting chapter where you know we uh, had a team that was sold and moved, and we moved into their building just on the other side of town. Is very interesting, uh, interesting way that went down. But uh, again, to be able to stay in the same area, live in the same house uh, over a period of twelve years when you're coaching junior, that's unusual. You mentioned a name there, Dave Cameron. You were an assistant to him for numerous years. What's that relationship like? Oh, great! Dave's, Dave's a dear friend, mm-hmm. and uh, we stay in touch. We talk hockey all the time. Yeah. He's in Vienna now. He's coaching Vienna Capitals. A couple of former OHL players uh, on his team: Matt Clark, big defenseman, played in Brampton. Uh, Chris D'Souza, who played for us yeah. in Mississauga, yeah. So he's doing very well. Their team's extremely competitive. Uh, you know, he's enjoying life over there. He lives in Vienna and uh, PI in the summertime. So most of the time I'm jealous when I'm talking to him. It's not so bad. Yeah, he's yeah. in some different, different locale. He's living on the ocean or whatever. But he's a, he's, Dave's a real straight shooter. And, uh, you know, there's no gray area, mm-hmm. which you really appreciate when you're working with somebody. Um, but... You know, this kind of dual persona. I think Dave's extremely serious when he's at the rink, but he's also a super kind-hearted guy who's really, really funny, and I really enjoy spending time with him. So we had we had some a lot of fun, you know, coaching together. But you know, we become really good friends, and we always stay in touch. This history uh, that we're talking about, Toronto St. Mike's, Mississauga, et cetera, uh, you mentioned uh, Brampton, right? The other team. The GTA has always seemed like a bit of a square peg in the round hole that is the OHL. Uh, but having been in it at the level you were, kind of from the inside. What's hockey? What's, what's junior hockey, major junior in the GTA? Well, I, you know, I've given up trying to explain it. You know, <laughs> there, but there's a lot of really smart people who are working really, really hard uh, with both, I'd say Mike's downtown and in Mississauga, and it's extremely difficult to sell. And, you know, the way I describe it is you're selling every single ticket for every single game. You know, uh, so it's uh, it's it's different. It's difficult to explain. You know, we get the discouraging part for me was when you get deep into the playoffs in in the GTA. That's where it becomes really, or the teams that I was associated with. That's where it becomes really obvious. We played Game Seven of the OHL Final at home, and I think there was thirty five hundred people from one sound. Darn right, right. for you sure. Know, it was. They beat yeah. us in sure. overtime, and then there was a traffic jam. <laughs> you know, to all Shel- the way back to yeah. Shelburne yeah. And, <laughs> and beyond. So. I mean, it's, that's a true story. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's. I mean, that's that's a great junior hockey story, but that stings. You know, when you come out for the start of the game and and the majority of the fans are wearing the opposition jerseys and you're at home, it's a it's a different atmosphere. And then you know, in just a few years ago, uh, year before last, we were playing Erie in the finals, and you know, you get back to back games, and you know, there's seven thousand or sixty nine hundred in in Erie on Thursday, and then you know, you come home and uh, the crowd's quite a bit leaner, so. I think it can work. I think that uh, they're doing an awful lot of work uh, in Mississauga there. There's some good people there that are doing the work. It's just extremely slow uh, to come along. But, you know, some innovative ideas and a good team, you know, building a fan base. You know, when back in 93, 94, when I was playing, you know, here in Kitchener for the Rangers, they w- there were some pretty lean crowds oh, at that time. Oh, were there mm-hmm. ever. That was, that was, those were the dark days. Yeah. Yeah. Those were the dark days. And then, and, you know, our main rival were the, were the Knights down at the Ice House who you know, drawing a thousand people. That so, was right around the time of their three-win season. Yeah, yeah, that was that was exactly <laughs> where. It was. So you know, you think, well, you know, at that time, everyone said, you know, that this is never, you know, this is, 
you know, a tough road to hoe or it's, it's never going to work. Uh, well, look at these two franchises now. For sure. So I think you got to have real long-term perspective and uh, some patience, but I think the right people are there in Mississauga. And now with, with uh, you know, Branton off to North Bay uh, in a great locale there, I think Mississauga can work. Do you think the league needs to make it work in the GTA? Uh, I don't know. I never thought about that. You know, it's... Uh, um, it's definitely convenient. You know, <laughs> scouts like it. Yeah. Scouts, scouts, <laughs> scouts like it. I think that, uh, you know, the real concentration. I live in the GTA. Mm. You know, I commute back and forth to, to Ottawa when need be, but I can watch uh, OHL games within two hours of my home every, you know, four or five times a week. So it's easy to shoot up to Kitchener or Guelph or Mississauga. I think by having some of the teams in close proximity, it eliminates a lot of travel for teams. And I think there's a lot of players that come out of the GTA mm. that by having a team there gets some exposure to the league. So uh, I don't think that they need to make it work, but I think uh, it's good for the league to have a team there. You mentioned that uh, OHL finals appearance versus Erie. Did you know that uh, once you had attained that, it was time to move on to a new challenge? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, I'd been in, I'd been in the same spot for a long time. And I'd coached, you know, for coach and GM for a couple of years, and Really, the last two years, I probably shouldn't have done it, hmm. you know, because I had, I had a young family at home, and I thought, you know, really, you know, if I, I'm going to miss coaching so much, you know, that I, I, I don't want to give this up. Well, the truth is, once, you know, I assume that just the general managers, well, I don't miss coaching one bit. <laughs> you know, so I think back, geez, why did I do that? But uh, I've got a young family at home. I've got a lot of flexibility, and uh, I... You know, I still watch a lot of hockey, and I get to do the hockey stuff, and, a little, and now some more interesting business stuff as well. But uh, for me, doing the coach and GM thing at the same time was just too much. You know, with the infants at home and uh, you know different stuff going on, so it was either be a bad dad or a bad coach, and uh, you know, we'll just leave the coaching alone and concentrate on the kids. Uh, but uh, it, it did feel like I'd been there a long time. I think that uh, the fact. Removed from from the bench and from the coaching and the ability to move around a little bit, give me a, like a greater perspective on the hockey world. I didn't know that Ottawa was going to be the, you know, the end destination, and uh, really a great scenario where I'm a, I'm able to live at home, and have you know really some flexibility with a real strong support staff there in Ottawa. But I was thinking uh, possible NHL scouting job or you know getting into to something different. But it was definitely time for change. I wasn't sure what that change would be. It's working out well in Ottawa. Yeah, um, it's amazing how those things happen. Sometimes, uh, you know, by uh, uh, stepping away, uh, you realize what opportunities are out there. A oh. lot of fans. Sorry, Poker. No, go ahead. They they think about the role, the dual role, as maybe being uh, the best of both worlds. Because you know, you're the manager that puts the players on the ice, that the coach has to coach. But can you take us inside the day to day? I mean, this is a, like you talked about. It's either going to be a bad coach or a bad father. Like, what's the life like when you're a head coach and a general manager at this level? Well, I think it really depends on your personality. And I think that, you know, you have to, in order to do both, you have to be a master delegator and you have to be able to, you know, entrust, trust people to do uh, a lot of things. So you're not going to be able to see the, the you know, you're not going to be able to scout all the players. You're not going to be able to meet with all the parents. Um, but if you've got a trusted lieutenant that is able to do that, then, yeah, I think it can work. I think that where I get into difficulties as Coach GM was you get in there and, uh, uh, you know, you got your day planned out and, uh, you know, you can schedule your work. But if, you know, someone doesn't show up at school, 
uh, well, the right thing to do is to go over to the school or the billet home and find out what's going on and communicate with the parents and, uh, you know, get to the bottom of it. Well, by the time you've done that, now it's 1130 and the guys are coming in for practice and you haven't done a thing, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> so there's a lot going on now with, you know, off the ice, player safety, player initiatives, uh, you know, the part- team's uh, partnership with the CMHA, all great stuff. But the scope of the job has grown you know, immensely. So I think uh, uh, if, you can, if you can delegate things and, and kind of step aside and, and do that, then, yeah, it can work. I like, uh, you know, really the, something that I really enjoy is the scouting and, and the recruiting portion, meeting with the, you know, getting out there, watching games, meeting with the parents and the kids and, you know, telling them about your program and, you know, scouting the league for trades, getting out there, knowing, you know, all the personnel in the league, talking to the scouts in the stands and, the media personality. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Put that in there. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, finding out, like really digging, doing the deep dive of who, you know, what, you know, we always talk in Ottawa, but we're not looking for, you know, a player. We're looking for the player. Like who's best for us? And I think that that requires a lot of, a lot of background work. And I really enjoy that stuff. So uh, that's where the GM thing becomes really fun for me. And, uh, you know, you get to really explore that. And as well as some business stuff too. I wasn't so, I wasn't involved in the business stuff when I was, you know, coaching GM, but now I'm learning a lot more about the the business side and you know ticketing and marketing and that sort of thing, which is really really interesting. You mentioned uh, when you guys lost the OHL final on home ice yep. against uh, Owen Sound, you had a uh, overweight bald reporter, young reporter at that time covering <laughs> the team. It was myself. Um, <laughs> moving forward, when you actually um, won, and w- w- you you make it back with Erie again. What was that feeling like when you went back to it? When you went back facing Erie in that in that OHL final? Well, I think it was a long time coming. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, years. Um, but you realize how close it is, right? Yeah. And also, you know, you realize when you get to like championship caliber hockey, you're talking, you know, the post. <laughs> you're talking the post. You're talking about, you know, uh, a puck off a skate. Uh, you know, it's extremely the margin for error is just so so slim. So. You know, we're talking about in Ottawa, and, uh, you know, we're lucky that we still have Brian Kilray on staff. Uh, you know, does some scouting, plays some golf, uh, <laughs> provides opinions. Killer's great. In all those, in all those years, uh, you know, Killer was coaching all those great players. Uh, really, it's three trips, you know, three championships, one of which was uh, as the host. You know, and then 1996. So Crazy. It is so hard to win. When you think of some of the coaches that come through that, an opportunity to coach against, become friends with, and you know, Peter DeBoer, for example, of all those teams, you know, in Plymouth and Kitchener, all those championship caliber teams and all the NHL players, it's extremely hard to win, you know. So you get a new appreciation for it. It's still elusive, you know, for me personally. Mm-hmm. It's something that drives me every day. That you know, you you want to you want to get back there and you want to to win a championship, but it's a super competitive league, and you know, you, your day to day is. Uh, you know, you, you realize, oh, well, you know what, we could really stand upgrade at, you know, name a position, left wing. And you start making the phone calls, well, you're calling Dale Howard, Chuck, you're calling Mark Hunter, you're calling, <laughs> right? You're, you're, it, it is, there's some capable people, or Warren Reichels of the world, you know. Try calling Warren Reichel and lowball off him and see what happens, right? <laughs> what but, did happen? No. <laughs> you might get, yeah, you might get a punch in the mouth. But it's, uh, it, it's really competitive and, you know, really capable people know you know it's a 
you got to be on your toes, and that's what I really enjoy about working in this league. All right, that's what we need to get to. This is the question that everybody has on their mm-hmm. mind and has had since it happened. What kind of voodoo magic or pixie dust did you sprinkle over Warren Reichel's desk in Windsor to get Michael DiPietro, the best goalie in this country, in our opinion, onto your team without giving up a roster player? Well, there's a couple of components to it. The first one I like to think is Warren and I are friends. Uh, <laughs> the second is he's not taking your calls anymore. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, you're going to find out here in the future. But you know, Warren, Warren's son played for us in Mississauga. You know, we had Kirby Reichel, right. uh, who of course was drafted by Barry, and we traded for Kirby. And then uh, you know, at the trade deadline, moved him on to Windsor. So Warren was a parent on our team there for for a while, mm. and through that whole process, got to know Warren, became friends with Warren, and then you know, over the years, you know, of course. We're, uh, we're connected professionally, but we've also, uh, you know, spent a lot of time together in international tournaments and that sort of thing. And so we get along great. The, the, the Mikey dialogue started last year. You know, there was kind of some rumors around that he was going to be moved, so we started talking about it. Uh, but really, this year, is they were, you know, there's a real appetite in Windsor to, to get Mikey to a team that had a chance to win. So until, you know, our team has started having some success and, you know, end up, you know, at the top of the, the leaderboard or the standings, uh, then it became, all right, hey, listen, we'd like to get Mikey to you guys because he's done so much for our, for our organization. Uh, you know, just the background on, on, on Mikey is, you know, his reputation precedes him in the league with the community involvement and all, all the good stuff. So, um, you know, Warren and I were able to work it out. But the key to the deal is Igor Afanasyev who is one heck of a player. And Igor, we drafted in the seventh round. He's committed to Michigan State. He plays in Muskegon in the USHL. He'll, he'll likely be a first-round pick to the NHL this year. He's going to come in and score, you know, I'm going to guess 40 goals wow. next year. He's a big-time player. So, you know, when you look at it, well, we didn't give up a roster player. Well, not a roster player this year, but next year you may be looking at the situation saying, ooh, that's a heck of a trade for both teams. And, you know, if Igor d- doesn't come, then... Uh, you know, they get some extra draft picks that they can build their team with. So it's still, uh, you know, one of the bigger trades that we've made in franchise history. If I think if Afanasiev ends up in Windsor, it's a big-time win-win for both teams. Uh, and, you know, they made all the right, uh, you know, with the draft picks. So uh, I think that uh, time will tell. But, uh, you know, we know they have a track record of recruiting, and Igor lives close by, uh, just over the river in Detroit. So it seems to be a good fit. Can you take us to that that day where you did make the trade and it finally went through? Obviously, there's dialect, I'm assuming, you know, as you said, leading up to the actual day that it finalizes. But is it the type of thing that we kind of saw, like, in the movie Moneyball, where you're in a room with a couple guys and you're like, I think we're going to get him. We're going to get him. And then all of a sudden, the phone rings, you're like, holy God, Mikey. Yeah, well, (laughs) no, I wish it happened like that. (laughs) Not nearly as exciting. No, it's one of those things where, you know, the, the, the detail is the key you know, to a trade like that. Mm-hmm. So you're so focused on, you know, when things start to heat up and, okay, this is happening, that you're trying to get all those details right, uh, that you don't really have time to sit back and say, you know, rub your, you yeah. ring your hands together. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, a, <laughs> so it's, uh, uh, you know, when the trade is done, it's kind of, whew, you know, that's, that's over. Yeah. You know, the, I get on the phone to make the travel arrangements and then, go sleep for 12 hours it's kind of (laughs) kind of thing but it was an interesting um you know days following because of course mike came to ottawa and played a game and then left for world juniors Mm -hmm. so it was uh it was a whirlwind um you know actually he was in Ottawa. he came to ottawa and practiced with the team and then he returned to windsor for a a charity event for his foundation and then came back 
uh, and played the the Saturday game against Gatineau. So his first game in the yeah. the OHL was against the Quebec League team, and then he, he went <laughs> off to the to the World Junior. So it was uh, I say we had a feeling it was going to happen, you know, probably sometime in October. But you know, you never until he walks in with his hockey bag on his shoulder, you never really you know yeah believe it. You you talk, James, about the dialogue beginning into last season and putting Mikey in a position where he's going to be with a team that has a chance. And clearly the Ottawa 67s have been that team pretty much since the get-go this season. Is this a case of you can never have enough goaltending? Because Cedric Andre was going just fine for you. Your team was top of the league, and yet you decided it was necessary, something you wanted to do as an organization, to add the likes of Di Pietro. Yeah, we were really happy. with like this is That probably put us in a position to strengthen making the deal. You know, if we if we were desperate for, for goaltending, sure. uh, it probably would have looked totally different. But no, yeah, we were we were happy with our goaltending. We, um, Will Cranley, you know, was our backup the first part of the season. Will was gone for a stretch to the under seventeen. Tremendous goaltending prospect. Uh, he stopped fifty two shots uh, last uh, last Saturday, I believe. For uh, oh yeah, I saw. It. Yep, that's yeah. right. So he's, he's had a couple games. He stopped more than fifty shots for wins. Uh, so we love Will. Uh, he work, you know, he works. He works with our team uh, weekly, and he's he's getting those games in Navin, so that's a key. But for us, it was more about experience. You know, we're adding leadership and experience, and 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 playoff experience. So guys that have been there, done that, and you know can kind of shepherd, you know, along the way uh, through the second half of the season and into the playoffs. And that's what we felt with, you know, Kyle Maximovich. Uh, of course, the haunts us from our time in Mississauga there in the, in the finals. Um, <laughs> You know, Lucas Chioto and Di Pietro was that was really our criteria. We're looking for players who had leadership skills, good people who've been deep in the playoffs and know know what it takes. And so, uh, you know, we upgrade our goaltending. Uh, and you know, it never hurts to have a one-two punch. There's been some, you know, in the past in Ottawa. There's there's a tradition there. Levente Zuper and uh, um, Seamus Kotick, and you know, having a, a two capable goalies. Uh, uh, you know Peter Budai in Kyoto and in in Toronto, uh, so I, I think that any time you got a chance to add a player in the league who's the best at their position or someone you feel is the best at their position, you got to do it. You mentioned during the deadline and leading up to it that you wouldn't or you didn't want to or wouldn't trade a player on your roster. You've also talked about the chemistry on your team right now and how tight they are. Is that why? Yep, that's a big part of it. And our coach, our coaches love our young players. So, you know, when it comes to uh, we're gonna. You know, we want to move out a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old. It's just flat-out no way. You know, we yeah. and we're never in a position where we were in trouble at any position. You know, we did, didn't desperately need, uh, you know, any any player. But we also the the chemistry that you know that our team has this year that doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm at a loss to explain how it happens. You know, but I've seen it you know two or three times over the 19, 20 years I've been doing this. It's it's special. You know, they're they're close knit. They're they're really good friends. They they do everything together, and uh, you know we didn't want to do anything where we're making a blockbuster and you know sending three players out and upsetting the chemistry of the team. So we said, you know what, if we can add if we can add some veteran presence and uh, you know still manage to hang on to the guys, then that's great. And we thought we could do that because draft picks are at a premium, and we had an abundance of draft picks. So uh, you know we made some deals that you know we're. we're I think sensible for both teams, and uh, you know some teams got some draft picks. They need to rebuild their clubs, and uh, we were able to hang on to our young guys. But it's uh, we also have some young, young uh, 
uh, players from Ottawa, you know, who live at home. And that was a big thing too, was, uh, you know, it's, uh, we like having local players mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, we, some of those players were, you know, players that other teams coveted in trades and we just simply weren't going to do it. What is Andre Trigny lured over from the queue to coach here in Ottawa meant for your organization? Well, I think his, he has 99% uh, to do with the team's success. I think he's the, he's the guy who's there every day. He manages the schedule. Uh, he communicates with the players. Uh, he's got a sterling reputation, you know, in the, in the Quebec League and in the NHL as an assistant, but he's on top of it. You know, our team is detail-oriented, and uh, those coaches are in the office all day, every day, and they got individual plans for every player, and there's skill development going on and fitness stuff and uh, you know that every player on our team is treated the same so we're focused on developing our 16 year olds we're focusing on getting pro contracts for 20 year olds and uh, you know it's it's all in uh, but Andre is a he's a taskmaster but he's genuinely interested in the players in their personal life and in their future and I think the players recognize that and and uh I think our effort on on the ice and the cohesiveness of our team, you know, reflects that. I think that uh, uh, the Bears, we call him, is quite a character. <laughs> um, but he's he's extremely good at what he does. You guys came on in the same year. I think you were hired a, a day or two before. Maybe it was the same press conference announcement, anyway. But yeah. his hiring did did they ask for your input? Did they leave it solely up to you because it happened so close together? How did him coming to Ottawa at the same time essentially uh, come to be? Well, we were hired at the exact same time. Yeah, at the exact same time? <laughs> exact same time. <laughs> but I knew Andre going back to uh, when I was coaching with Dave Cameron. Andre was an assistant coach with the World Junior Team in 2010 uh, or 2011. So I got to know Andre uh, through that um, process. And then, you know, in the years following, Andre brought his Royan Noranda team to Ontario to play exhibition games. And they put a plate against Spotters Rangers and yep. against yeah, us in, Miss- in Mississauga. And uh, then, of course, there's always players that are transferring, you know, changing league to league. And so you need someone you trust in the other league. So we stay in contract with Andre that way. Then Andre went on to the coach in the National Hockey League and as an assistant in Colorado. And then in Ottawa with Dave Cameron, you know, where Dave was the head coach. So I was hanging around those teams all the time. And, <laughs> you know, so I run into, you know, you, you, you develop a friendship with somebody. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and I knew his reputation professionally, but I just, I really like him. So when the job came open in, uh, in, in Ottawa and I met with the Jeff Hunt and the group in Ottawa and, uh, and they said, Oh, what, what do you think about this guy? And I said, Oh, he's great. And, uh, you know, they said, well, we've been talking to him about, you know, coming here too. And I said, well, how, how are you going to do that? You know, <laughs> <laughs> he's the coach of the Halifax team. And so, uh, just so happened that Bobby Smith, who owns the Halifax team is a, you know, one of the 67's great alumni. And Andre's um, kids are still in high school in Ottawa. You know, oh, so, wow. uh, so for family reasons, um, you know, when the opportunity to come home, uh, Andre jumped at it. But the whole thing kind of happened. And then, you know, after the press conference, we were sitting in a restaurant wondering, like, what just, what's going on here? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, did this just happen? But uh, it's been exciting. It's been great. You know, over the first year, uh, um, you know, I say we see we see things very similarly. I think that uh, there's a there's a plan in place. We're sticking to the plan, and uh, there's a lot of communication going on. Like I said, I live in Toronto, and he's in Ottawa. But uh, you know, he uh, uh, you know he keeps me up to speed with what's happening, and I do the same in the hockey world. So sometimes it comes down to you know 
we need this type. You know, we're looking for this type of player, and I say, okay, I'll see you in three weeks. You know? <laughs> I'm going to hit the road, but uh, you know, I, they don't need me around there critiquing practice. And uh, Andre trusts me to, you know, I know what type of players he likes, mm-hmm. and so uh, we're out looking for those players, and hopefully we can, uh, you know, uh, hit it out of the park in the in the draft here this year and uh, c- continue success. You mentioned there's a plan. And the other 19 other general managers are going to want to know the answer. What is that plan? <laughs> How does it work? <laughs> what is the plan, James? <laughs> well, you know what? Part of the plan right now is that the, uh, or part of the plan coming to fruition is that the team took it on the chin before we were there. You know, there was a, uh, the team went with uh, four young defensemen, uh, you know, 16-year-olds, uh, the season before uh, we arrived. And so what we've got now is a big, strong, you know, very capable defense who kind of, you know, learned... <laughs> the hard way. The, yeah, learned the hard <laughs> way the year before we got there. So that's a big part of it. But, the, um, you know, I think Andre's, like I said before, Andre's done a really good job of, you know, uh, making each of the players feel a big part of the team and uh, building a, you know, a real team uh, DNA, we call it, you know, a way that we want to play and, and uh, you know, making a, everyone feel valued. So I think that, you know... Our team is uh, is more the sum of its parts than individual play. I think that um, you know it's a true team, which is which is great to watch, and it's been a really really fun year to see see them have some success. I don't want to document the heartbreak, but I do want to go back to your your career, particularly as head coach GM. But even after that cup of coffee in Kitchener as a player, you've spent pretty much all your time in what is now the Eastern Conference. And Owen Sound, you mentioned that seven game series, the attack come out on top, OHL final. Erie comes out on top. Things have started to change a little bit. We have an Oshawa recently winning out of the East, Hamilton last year. But being in the Eastern Conference, and, and you've got this team that's top of the league, is there is there as much a discrepancy as we sometimes think there is between West versus East? There's no question the results have shown over the last 10 or 15 years West has dominated. But do you have to try to develop a team in the East that is like these Western teams that have been successful, or is that overplayed perhaps in the media? Uh, well, I think there's definitely, the West has been stronger. You know, I remember, think just a few years ago, you got three teams with 100 points, you know, coming out of the same right. division. So usually, you know, in the West, you got one of the top teams in the league that's exiting in the second round, mm-hmm. you know, just because someone someone has to lose. I think that, you know, in the, in the East, teams have done a pretty good job, of, pretty good jobs of drafting that I think that there's, gonna, there's some really good young talent in the East. I think some better teams coming out of the East over the last couple of years, but there definitely is that arms race, you know, in the far southwest of the province uh, where you got some uh, pretty attractive places for players to play and some really good drafting going on that, uh, you know, that's the, that's the standard for the league is uh, matching, uh, you know, the, the teams from uh, Highway, Highway 6 West. You know? <laughs> um, but they do a great job. So... You know, we want you want to be the best in the league. That's that's your benchmark, and you better get out scouting, and you better get talking to some parents and let them know the good things that are going on in your community, um, because uh, they certainly have done a great job. But I think in the in the next few years, the East is going to be extremely competitive. There's some teams that are shaping up, and we might even see a, a change in the balance of power there. Ottawa's got to be a pretty, I don't want to say easy. I don't want to make it sound like your job is easy, but certainly the city itself has got a lot to offer. Yeah, it's 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 a great city. Of course, the nation's capital, mm-hmm. but uh, two great universities, a, uh, a college with, with some great programs that appeals to the, uh, you know, the bilingual players in the province, um, a lot of whom have family in Ottawa, and 
you know, it's, uh, it's definitely cold. But, uh, <laughs> we noticed. Yeah, windy. <laughs> but uh, uh, that doesn't seem to be an issue. We're just coming off a of Winterlude, really sunny and uh, a great Winterlude festival. So it's a, it's a unique city. But it is, uh, you know, when, when people come to visit, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a pretty nice spot. So I think getting the message out, you know, to the, to the families and the players, the players that we've drafted, you know, our prospects about, uh, you know, the development program we've got going on and the benefits of the city and, uh, you know, it's, it's become attractive for, for most of them. So, um, you know, a lot of it is, uh, um, you know, just getting out there and, and spreading the message. Um, it's amazing if you, you can't assume that people know a lot about your community or you got to get out there, you got to educate them and answer the questions. So it requires a lot of time on the road and a lot of face-to-face, but that's what it's all about. Yeah. As a, as a general manager, James, in order of, I guess, importance or emphasis, where do you... Where do you rank drafting and recruiting, developing, and then in-season moves when it comes to building an OHL hockey club? Developing slash recruiting, or uh, sorry, drafting and recruiting, developing, and then in-season moves and tinkers with the team. Well, I think that your development is as important as your drafting and recruiting, and and some of that is out of your hands. But uh, you know, staying on top of you know where your prospects are and how they're developing and who they're playing for, and uh, you know if, if you can. Uh, shepherd them along the way, then that's great. Um, the developing is, you know, when you players who are joined your team, uh, getting in a skills coach or skating coach and, you know, doing the video and all the extra stuff, uh, that's as important as drafting. You know, helping players to get on to their next step. So the two are hand in hand. But for me, you know, when, when you're drafting, you got to find players that fit, you know, fit in with your program too. You know, players that, you know, are, are interested in... Uh, you know, bettering themselves as hockey players, but they're also interested in their academics and, uh, you know, whatever else your values lie. So doing doing a bit of homework there and making sure that you're getting the players that fit best into your team culture is really important because they're the players that are going to have, uh, you know, a positive experience and they're going to be able to put in 100% every day. So, uh, you know, the situations are different for everybody, but with, uh, you know, by making some phone calls and meeting with some people, you can find out exactly who fits best for you. And then if you do well with your drafting and you do well with your development, then hopefully you don't have to make many in-season moves. You know, you can develop from from within and add a piece here or there. But really, I think if you talk to, you know, most operators in junior hockey, most GMs, you don't want to trade players. Mm -hmm. You know, if we could draft players and keep them and, and, you know, never have any holes or any misses, then that'd be (laughs) perfect. But, uh, you know, by limiting those moves by... uh, uh, you know, drafting well, developing well, I think is the ideal situation. And lastly, I think we've taken up enough. Yeah, of your I was going to say this whole thing started with me sending an email to Boydie from the bus. Hey, can we get you for 15 <laughs> minutes before the game on Sunday? It works out. I'll come into the studio. We'll do the podcast 45 minutes later. <laughs> I, but we have somebody with the Ottawa 67s organization, both a former player and now a general manager. And we'd be idiots if we didn't ask for a killer story. Everybody linked to Ottawa, maybe even in the OHL, has a killer story. Can you give us your best killer story? Oh, geez, there's too many. <laughs> too many. Toss a couple at us. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, you know, I think there, there really is too many. But I'll tell you, this is a funny one. I'm, I'm, killer introduced me, I think, uh, this way, you know, the meet, the meet the team thing. And killer was the GM, as I mentioned. Uh, Peter Lee was the coach, but... So he introduces the players, and Killer has like a cheap shot for each of the players that goes up, you know. 
And then he said, uh, this is James Boyd, and he's a second-year player, and with a lot of hard work and a little bit of luck, he'll be a third-year player. <laughs> you know, that was the, the intro to the fans, you know, innovation there. But, uh, you know, the killer is, uh, he's forgotten more about hockey than most people will ever know. He's at that stage. He still scouts for us, you know, he scouts a couple games a week, comes to all the major events, the Silver Stick, the Marley Tournament, uh, you know, he's on the road doing different Hall of Fame events and that, and he's, you know, mid-80s. So he golfs in the summertime with, you know, Bert O'Brien, who is his uh, longtime assistant coach and, you know, close friend. And, uh, you know, I think uh, uh, he's a legend. He's a living legend. And I think if, uh, you know, what a life. If that's, you know, you, co- you coach, coach hockey for that many years, you end up in the Hall of Fame and then uh, get to golf uh, every day with your best, <laughs> with your best buddy yeah. and, uh, and watch hockey phenomenal so it's a pleasure to be able to work with him amen to that we had some names earlier with templeton and and mavity and we saw mr mavity in, in kingston this weekend we'll have to bring you back just for a special uh name drop storytelling podcast yeah, yeah well i'll try to uh, I'll, when i'm prompted i'll try to remember some better stories that uh, <laughs> you can share on the air yeah, yeah but <laughs> but, those, uh, that's the issue a lot yeah, of the killer stories can be shared off the air sometimes. as long as you go high off the glass that's all i'm told that's right as, as long as you go off the glass right. and out <laughs> james thanks so much we really appreciate the time my pleasure guys Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.